Hey, good evening. Q's Nation, welcome to the Upstate Orange Podcast on FingerLakes1.tv. I'm Jim Sinecropi here inside the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. It's Sunday, February 12, 2017, and man, yesterday the Q's loses to Pitt. Tomorrow they play Louisville on Big Monday, and I'm feeling like I'm a little bit in flux. If they had beaten Pitt, we'd be so happy right now. They would be riding a five-game winning streak. I mean, just leading into that Pitt game was feeling so good. I got to tell you, I was worried about it, though. I was really worried about that Pitt game, and, of course, we drop it. And so now probably back on the bubble off the bubble who knows we got to talk about it and also terrible news um saturday for for syracuse fans um fat mellow dead found dead uh and of course he's been a really a, a name that's kind of been the poster boy for those ncaa uh sanctions against coach Bayheim and the program Maybe a little unfair, uh, but Fab Mello dead at age 26. So we're going to talk about it tonight when I get the Professor Brad Connor on the line via Skype in Cincinnati, Ohio, in just a moment. The Upstate Orange Podcast is brought to you by Generations Bank with locations in Auburn, Farmington, Geneva, Phelps, Seneca Falls, Union Springs, and Waterloo. Be sure to check out their mobile banking app or visit them online at mygenbank.com. And, um, Brad, we were talking about this Syracuse pit game before via text message before it started. And I said that I'm really worried. I just don't feel good. It just seems like the type of thing this team would do after getting everybody's hopes back up and winning four straight in dramatic fashion to go down to the pit and pit and lose. I mean, do you have some trepidations or? <laughs> yeah, I think we both did. Um, I think we've learned with this season that, um, whatever you might least expect will probably happen. And, uh, yeah, and then and playing in pits never been a recipe for success for this team. <laughs> and then Saturday was no different. Unfortunately, that's um, not a good time for that to happen. So we're going to talk about that game. Um, we're going to kind of reevaluate where we stand through the first, um, after these last five games where they've been filled with a lot of highs and one really bad low, and we're going to see if that pit loss is as bad as it really feels like it is um a lot to talk about but first we got to talk about you know fab mellow passing away on saturday found it looks like he died of a heart attack in his sleep um found by his mother in brazil and poor fab mellow you know um <laughs> obviously because he's died at 26 but he has really been the poster boy for uh, everything that went on with those NCA sanctions. And, you know, when if, if you look at it from a different perspective, here comes a kid, Fab Mello, seven foot two, some basketball skills, and everybody wants him to come to his college and, you know, their college and play basketball. And so Syracuse gets him to come up here. And then when he gets here, he, you know, doesn't speak English, has to acclimate to a new country, a new continent, has to try to pass college level courses and learn English and learn Bayheim system as a D and be a D one athlete, um, all with some spotlight on him. And he had some struggles and the struggles really didn't come on the court. He was dominant. And if he didn't get 
declared ineligible, I suppose, self-imposed by Syracuse twice during that sophomore season, once in January and then again right before the NCAA tournament where we went to the Elite Eight and lost without him. You know, he, uh, off the court, he had an incident um, with his girlfriend, a, a domestic violence type of incident. Um, that really makes it tough for a lot of people to to forgive and forget when something like that happens. And then this term paper that, you know, supposedly someone else wrote for him that was just like the spotlight item of the NCAA's investigation. And again, I just feel like um, the kid kind of got a raw deal. He kind of got forced out as a sophomore because of all that into the NBA, made some money, good for him. I don't feel bad for him on that regard, but then, you know, ultimately back to Brazil and then it, it just a few years later at age 26, his life's over. Yeah, it's tragic. It truly is. You know, and it's, it, we've, we've said his name on this podcast a few times this season even, but unfortunately he, he, if he wasn't a punchline, it was definitely referred to not in the most favorable light because right. he was, as you say, the poster poster boy for everything that went wrong. And and that was unfortunate. Um, you know, there were a few things that maybe he did bring on himself, but think about the fact that he's new to the country, new to the language, new to Syracuse basketball and the 2-3 the zone and all the complexities of it. I mean, we see guys that are fifth-year seniors that are United States natives struggling with it this year. And yeah. He, he he was placed under such a microscope, I guess, in terms of expectations from from the beginning. I mean, he had the name, which was you know reminiscent of one of the great Syracuse players ever, and that wasn't fair to him, especially coming into this program. He had great – he was seven foot plus, and he had great offensive skills, as we heard, coming into college. But – Freshmen never, freshman big men always struggle in this program. We've known it from, from for years and years, and so right. the expectations were probably too high on him to begin with. And he was deemed a bust before the freshman year was even done. Came back great as a sophomore. I mean, let's let's think about the fact that he was the center on what perhaps was the greatest Syracuse team ever. That team was with his sophomore year in the 2012. They were 34 and three. Yeah, really. Without him, they lost an Elite Eight game to an Ohio State team that had an NBA guy in Jared Sollinger, who without a without a capable center, an experienced center, this, Syracuse was was destined to, to, to struggle in that game. With Fab Mello, this team, in my mind, gets past Ohio State, goes to the Final Four. Who knows? Who knows? Now, that was, I think, a Butler. Butler was the next would have been their next opponent. I would like to have thought Syracuse was a better team. And Syracuse went in. They, they finished the season number one in the country the regular season. This was a number one seed. This was the best team that they've had perhaps ever. Unfortunately, it didn't live up to the final expectation that some of the teams have. But he was the he was the defensive standout on that team. Ten Fit. block shots in one game, which has never been done before or since. Never, you know, he was never a superstar offensive player. But again, with big guys, that that comes later. And we had every reason to think that he would have continued on that path. And the academic things derailed it. I don't know what forced his hand to end up in the NBA. I don't. I think we all sort of agreed that that was probably the right thing, given everything that transpired. But if it hadn't transpired, we could have seen him be a four-year guy or at least a three-year guy, and who knows what you know? Sky would have been a limit the next year. It's unfortunate. It's a, it's a, a tragic situation for a lot of reasons, not just because he just passed at age 26. That's the you know the most tragic of it. But the the the, the failed potential of 
of not only you know a player and a Syracuse player, but a, a guy could have, who could have had a long professional career if he had the right the right support network around him. So isn't that a situation, just another situation of the NCAA taking actions that in no way benefits the student-athlete? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, in Fab Mello's case, um, it certainly didn't benefit him. It forced him out of school a year early. Whether he would have gone pro or not, who knows? It cost him a chance to contribute um, that sophomore season, um, which was, you know, let's face it, the whole reason the guy came to the United States was to become an NBA basketball player. You know, he wasn't going to graduate with a degree in, um, you know, business management. You know, he was going to play in the NBA. And it just seems like the one infraction with Fab Mello of this one term paper, you know, so one mistake, and that's the penalty. And Syracuse still paying for it. Uh, and while, meanwhile, just to get a little tangent going off, What's going on with Louisville and North Carolina? I mean, these these things were like way, <laughs> way worse. And you know, I don't know. Can would you agree that the NCA really has a hard on for Syracuse? You know, doesn't it seem that way? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this time after time that I don't think Jim Beheim does himself too many favors with the NCA and his his attitude and his you know he's curmudgeonly and he's 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 irascible and he's just a guy that doesn't really care for the BS that happens at the NCAA. And some guys, um, you know, are, are more slick salesmen. And I'm obviously thinking about Rick Pitino, who's Louisville team you just mentioned, you know, and he's, he's going to play the game. Jim Bayon doesn't have time to play the game. And that's unfortunately cost him in terms of their willingness to yeah. over, to overlook things that they may not have otherwise overlooked. Somebody, Bayon, upset somebody and somebody had it out for him and NCAA went after him and they got their guy and they took 101 wins away and they took Fab Mello away for questionable reasons and they took scholarship. I mean, they, they, they did what they, what they were committed to doing. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we, we can talk about that. We'll talk about that for a long, long time probably. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It had, it's unfortunate that a guy like Fab Mello gets stuck in the middle of it because he's a guy, Jim, that everybody, Nobody had a bad word to say about him as a teammate, as a friend, as a, you know, as a the co- coaching staff. I mean, they they all respected what he what he did and what he had to deal with when he was here and had to overcome to be a productive student and player. You see all the tweets from his from his teammates. Nobody has a bad word to say. I saw one from Paul Pierce and and Fab Mello played for the Celtics for like a week and a half. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he made an impact on people. He was a, he, you know by all accounts a great guy and a, you know a good teammate. And that's you know you hate to see bad things happen to people like that. Yeah, and um, hopefully Syracuse fans will remember him in the favorable light on the court doing those good things that uh, made him so dominant, especially that sophomore season. Um, but unfortunately, it's always going to be what could have been. And, and you know, why it was that way, I guess, you know, it's it's hard to fathom that the issues he had that the NCAA forced his suspension which Syracuse suspended him the NCA never suspended him Syracuse always suspended him in advance when the NCA was looking at it and and still you know to have these harsh penalties but Fab Mello was never able to um, he was never able to provide us with those uh, type of lasting legacy or memories that um, we could have potentially had if he were allowed to play in that NCA tournament yeah, and I hope that if there's any 
silver lining of him passing early, it's that the narrative changes on him, and he's not the uh, the scapegoat, if you will, for right. for the, the 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 loss of of that particular season and the 101 wins and everything else. But we maybe flip the flip the narrative to remember him more fondly to say, you know what, that 34 and three team probably never would have been the team that we remember as well as we do without him. Oh, yeah. He was, he was one of the best defensive centers to ever play in this program. Yeah. And hopefully that's the way we remember him now. You know, just you hope, hopefully that, that yeah. narrative's changed. Well, we'll leave it at that. Um, Fab Mello dead at age 26. Now, Saturday, obviously a bad day in Syracuse country um, with the Mellow news and losing to Pitt. But... You know, we had to miss our podcast last week uh, just because of conflicting schedules. Sometimes it's just impossible for us to do it. And last week, unfortunately, it was one of those because it would have been a great week to get together and talk Syracuse hoops. Um, you know, we have these amazing wins, these comebacks, these last-second shots, these just fantastic games. And then you just go down to pit and lose that one. And so it's hard. So we haven't evaluated where this team stands now in two weeks. So after two weeks of not doing the show, where where do they stand now? And this really ties into, as a matter of fact, I'm going to, topic two and three are kind of the same. Topic three was going to be with Saturday's loss to Pitt as bad as it seems, and so I'm going to skip right ahead there, and we're going to evaluate where we stand and how much did that loss hurt us Saturday after all that credibility and that we gained and all for our resume, then we lose at Pitt, which... On paper, it looks bad, but if you look a little closer, Pitt's not a bad team. What do you think? No. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's tough to win on the road in this conference. Just like it was in the Big East, it's just as difficult to win on the road in the ACC, and, and Pitt has has struggled this year. But the Syracuse team has also demonstrated – that they struggle on the road. And so it would have been difficult to think that Syracuse would have, would have coasted in this game. Um, you know, Pitts, they're, they're, they're still Pitt. Okay. Jamie Dixon isn't there and Syracuse handled him pretty easily at the dome a couple weeks back, but down there at Pitt, the, the, the Pete is a house of horrors for this team. And without Tyler Ennis's half court shot, I can't remember the last time Syracuse won down there. So this is uh this is a tough place for them to win. And, it's it's always a difficult matchup for Syracuse, at least with the with the current group of players, Jamie Dixon's players, admittedly, because they're just they're, they're, there's ferocious defenders, ferocious rebounders. Yeah. And if Syracuse doesn't come with intensity on the glass, they're going to get manhandled, and that's what happened for you know 35 minutes yesterday, probably. They just couldn't contain the guys inside, and they, you know, and Cameron Cameron. Johnson, I guess, whatever the yeah. three-point shooter. He, he, he had a huge game against Syracuse last year. He had another huge game yesterday. They don't extend on the shooter that they know is going to be shooting threes. I don't know what the issue was there. But I don't necessarily see that this is a bad loss. And I think, too, what what we can benefit from is the fact that the committee recognizes good wins more so than they penalize you by bad losses. So even if this is deemed a bad loss, it's definitely not a worse loss than losing to St. John's at home or or UConn. Yeah. Um, so you know, a, a road loss in the big in the ACC not a bad not a bad thing. And yeah, Pitt lost seven straight, but they they took Carolina um, in Chapel Hill down to the wire, lost by two. 
they lost back-to-back games in that, at the end of that seven-game streak to Duke and Carolina. You know, they lost a bad one to Louisville by 50 almost. I don't know what happened there. Um, and lost, you know, lost a bad one to Miami. But Miami's a solid team. So, you know, I don't think Pitt's a team that struggles, but I don't think that's as bad a loss as, as we might think just yeah. given the records. I just think it's a tough matchup for this team. But I think if they if they turn around and beat Louisville on Monday, um, they got a chance against Duke a week and a half from now. You know that's the, they win those two games. Heck, if they if they if they beat Louisville twice and Duke <laughs> once, I don't think it matters what they do against Georgia Tech, and I don't think it matters what they do in the ACC tournament. I think this team's in. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, the pit game's a little setback. It is. It makes it a little more difficult moving forward, but. That's not gonna. That game's not gonna be the difference. It's how we perform in the games coming up, which there's five of them left at Louisville, um, Louisville in the dome, George at Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech in the dome. Don't you love this ACC? <laughs> five we, <laughs> great rivalry with Georgia Tech. We get two of. I love it. Yeah, and, and but it's like it's almost Valentine's Day, and we're gonna play. We still got a series to play against two teams, home and away. It's just kind yeah, of, I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. And then Duke, of course, in the dome. So there's a and there's an opportunity there that we would have had to take advantage of, win or lose against Pitt. So maybe this means that yeah, we can't afford a slip up at home against Georgia Tech, or we need to win two of those three games against the Louisville Duke and at Louisville. Um, or maybe it means we need to win a game in the ACC tournament. Ultimately, it's too early to tell. It's not that Pitt loss did not. Fo- end our season um as far as the big dance goes um that's gonna lay lay ahead well i I mean the the reality of it is so this is the third road game they've played in the last two weeks they beat clemson by a last second miracle three great Mm -hmm. play well designed but that shot misses and we're talking about two straight road losses against questionable you know mediocre acc opponents then they beat NC State the game prior to that in overtime. John Gillen goes bonkers yeah. and hits a three at the at the end of regulation that if that doesn't go in, we're talking about a team that hasn't won a single road game all year. Yeah. You know, well, so 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 maybe we're 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 making more of this loss to Pitt than we should. I mean, maybe we're just fortunate that they they won the, the previous two road games and you know that's this is this is more of the team we're looking at. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's the thing about this team is it's you don't know what you're going to get from one game to the next. But they're sort of living on the on the high wire a little bit. They've shown some moxie, you know. They've shown that they got something inside. You know, watching that St. Sure. John's game, you're just like, who are these guys? These guys yeah. couldn't, you know, these guys couldn't beat a JV high school team. You know, they just don't right. have it in them. But they showed that they do have something, and so that's a bright spot. They showed that they can really, you know, number of guys can score. They're great. They can be a great shooting team. But throughout this whole thing, while the defense has been a little bit improved, I'd say a little bit improved, it hasn't been a very good defensive effort um, as a whole over this past five days, and that really has me concerned. Um, That's still the biggest problem. Okay, we know that these guys can score and you know we know when they get down 10 they got what it takes to come back Beheim throws that press on and we've seen that all before but this team still has not learned to play defense they still leave shooters wide open they still have tremendous lapses on the on the boards um where they get out hustled uh, for boards and then you know then they come alive and play and play with some heart and 
but consistently um, defensively, I have not, still have not been impressed, and that has me concerned. And I think they finally paid for it. You know, I think if they play better defensively, that they don't have to wait for a last second shot against Clemson, or they don't have to go to overtime against NC State. Um, so yeah, I agree. With you. I mean, this team at, at home they play forty-ish minutes of hard, intense basketball on the road. For whatever reason, they just go through lapses, and in some games they, they last the entire game. Uh, you know, the, the the other night they they came out flat and they stayed flat. And and there are certain guys that sort of generate that tempo. John Gillen obviously is one of them. I think Tyler Lydon is too. And sometimes we see him active and he's all over the court. And sometimes we see him just sort of hang back a little bit. Yeah. And I, I felt like we saw that Tyler Lydon a little bit uh, against Pitt yesterday. Well, that's a perfect segue to the fourth topic. And, um, you know, the past few games I've been watching, Tyler Tyler Lydon makes some great plays. But overall, I feel like he's struggling a little bit. I mean, if you look at his stat line, guy that they're talking about as a first-round NBA pick, um, it's been inconsistent statistically. Um, struggles scoring. I think he had six against Pitt. Um, but the, the just the fumbly turnovers lately, I don't know where that came from. You're so sure-handed. Yeah. There was a couple plays in that Pitt game. Um, one was the time when they got the steal off the press and Tyler Roberson let the ball go between his legs. Um, that was a really bad turnover. But the other one was a nice slip off a pick where Gillen hit him with a nice bounce pass. He was going to turn and score and cut the lead, I think, to two. Yeah. And it went off his hands out of bounds, and it's just not the type of thing that you ever see Tyler Lydon do. He's just usually pretty sure-handed and the guy that you want to have the ball in those situations. And so – to me, I start thinking, geez, does he have problems with his girlfriend or is he, you know, is there something going on that's making him, you know, just seem off? He feels like he's off and struggling. Yeah. Like it's, there's just a lack of kind of mental sharpness. It almost seems like it just, like in that play in particular, it's just like, his, like he just was off just a little bit of just, just wasn't all there, you know? Yeah. And, and I see, I see my fifth grade team do plays like that, you know, and I, I yell at them for, hey, you know, get your head in the game. And that's exactly what I, what I would have said if my team had done that. And you wouldn't expect that from a guy, as you say, who, you know, has every chance to be a first round draft pick. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder about it, and I think he's a guy that need, you know, needs to be a fifteen and ten on this team, night in and night out, yeah. for them to really, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get from Andrew White. John Gillen's going to be solid, I think. You know, Roberson's not going to give us much anymore. I think we can all agree. Torian Thompson, I thought he played really nice in the second half. First half, he disappeared. But yeah. again, he's not going to—he's not going to defend, and that's a problem for this team. Right. So, this team for the for this team to be successful, you said it, Jim. They're not going to defend. They haven't defended. They've given up eighty plus the last couple of games. They've got to outscore the other team, <laughs> and they've got to have passion and intensity on both uh, on offense to compensate for what we're seeing on the defensive end. Yeah, and at the very least, if they can't technically get that zone right, they they gotta sh- show a little more urgency, I think, and just yeah. I, you know, I it's funny too watching so much Syracuse basketball over the years. I can tell when someone's out of position, and I can tell when the other team's about to get an open three, and just want to shout at the screen, you know, rotate, you know, Andrew White, get out there, um, Frank Howard, what are you doing over on the wrong side of the court when the best three point shooter who's just made three in a row is wide open. Stuff like I find myself wincing before the ball's even even swung over to the opposite side because yeah. I just know what I what I'm about to watch. So and then with Leiden too, is I, 
one of the things that really makes college basketball tough now is that um, you want you know you want Leiden to excel and just take this team on his back and and be that type of player and then you know, and then you know we'll probably lose him to the NBA but um, but we got the best out of him but the, he's not playing well and he'll still be an NBA draft pick first round at this point you know regardless of what happens and if they do happen to make a run in the tournament or you know that'll even raise his stock more but he could play poorly leave Syracuse after two years. Of course, we had the Final Four run last year, so it wouldn't be like a total empty uh, empty recruiting effort there with Leiden. But it would just feel like kind of, you know, Leiden seemed like he could be one of the greatest, you know, one, one of the all-time greats. And if he was to go pro after this year, unless the Cuse really does something to turn things around, then it would just feel like I hardly knew him, you know. It would be like Michael, almost, it would be worse than Michael Carter-Williams. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah, I mean, it's it just seems like he could be giving us a lot more. I mean, he's, when he's great or when he's good, he's great. You know, he can be 25, 30 points, you know, a bunch of rebounds, a lot of, you know, highlight film type plays. Yeah. And then there's other games where it just sort of isn't his game and he sort of sits back and Andrew White, you know, just kind of watches him shoot and, and Gillen and Howard – really doing a lot more with the ball in their hands and Leiden's not really part of the part of the, the mix in those games. It's a weird it's it's a weird chemistry thing and it has been all year with this group and and we've overcome it from time to time but yeah there was games like yesterday that sometimes guys just disappear. I mean Tyus Battle disappeared yesterday. We barely even saw him on the court. Now the thing about Tyus Battle was he was sick and it came out later but I follow him on Snapchat and like the day before the game, he snapped this thing with some like prescript or over the counter cold medicines and a, a picture of him lay, laying in you know in bed with his stuff or on the couch and said you know feeling sick and I was like uh oh I said all right, you know already this is a bad sign for tomorrow and then yeah that hurt him you yeah. know because they, they they didn't have a guy who was a slasher you'd, you'd like to think that Tyler Lydon can can do a little bit more of that get to the rim more if you know Battle's not in there doing that. Torian Thompson does that to a degree, but you know I think again you're, you're gonna you're gonna lose some on defense with him. Tyus Battle's proven he's he can play both sides of the court. Yeah, they 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 missed a lot by not having him for long stretches yesterday. Hundred percent. You know he played 16 minutes. Hundred percent. They probably do win the game. It probably is a difference maker. Um, yeah. But you know that happens to a lot of teams. You know sure. that, that's just part of it. Um, yeah, so. and unfortunately the lack of depth on this team <clears throat> costs them. Year after year, we didn't think that was going to be a problem with this group, and now it is. Yeah, isn't it funny? This it's so funny. Early in the season, we talk about why this team is so great. Before when they were st- still had such high hopes, as maybe this being one of the best Syracuse teams ever. Um, you know, we yeah. talked about uh, the depth. You know, which is just totally gone. How Bayham was going to play ten guys, nine guys this year? You know, forget about it. It's the same as usual, and we don't even have the options beyond. You know, Dewan Coleman's done basically. Frank Howard yeah. is playing, but of uh, super disappointing whenever he does, in my opinion. Yeah, um, Pasquale Chiku is blind in one eye. Matthew Moyer's, um, you know, red shirting, and you yeah. know, but. The other thing that we said was that this team has so many good scores that they'll be able to win when a couple guys are off because a couple other guys will be on. So if 
Battle and Leiden are off. White and Gillen will be on. If, uh, you know, White's off or if White's on and, you know, Leiden's on, the other two can be off or Battle. They just had a lot of options. I think that still holds true. It's still true. I would agree. So there's some hope there. But now we got to look at what's coming up here. It's a home stretch, you know. We got ourselves back into feeling okay about our chances with that four-game stretch. But what do we have to do over the next five? We are home against Louisville in the Dome. Big Monday, even though the ACC doesn't have big in its name. But it's Big Monday. Syracuse, Louisville at Syracuse in the Dome, 7 o'clock ESPN, Monday night. And then we're off until Sunday where they play at 6.30 p.m. on ESPNU at Georgia Tech, which, Brad, I don't know how that's going to throw a wrench into our podcasting plans next week. Um, yeah, we may do a post-game show. Yeah, and then Wednesday, after that, the 22nd of February, Duke in the Dome on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Um, at Louisville on CBS on the 26th. That's a Sunday at 7 o'clock. Well, that can't be 7 o'clock, though, right? I think it's a 2 p.m. Yeah, Sunday, 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock. I yeah. had a mistake here in my notes. And then and then Georgia Tech again in the Dome on a Saturday, March 4th. So five games, um, given where this team stands, what do they need to do to get into – so we can say going into the ACC tournament that even if they lose in the first round of the ACC tournament, they're still on the bubble. Um. Or to the point where if they win at least one game that we can feel like they're going to get their name called on Sunday. What do you think? I would say with these five games, if if they win four out of five and the only loss is a loss at Louisville, I think, I, I think they're in. I don't think it matters what they do in the ACC tournament. I think you if you beat Louisville and Duke and take care of business against Georgia Tech home and away, you know, that gives you another road win at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Not a great, you know, marquee victory, but it's one that they can hang their hat on in terms of road wins, which yeah. they don't have a whole lot of. Um, but you beat Louisville, uh, you know, top 20, top 10 team. Mm-hmm. You beat Duke. Obviously, that carries weight, whether it's deserved or not. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think they'd have enough quality wins at that point. Um, what would the ACC record, if that held true, Brad, what would their ACC record be? They would be their what? Uh, they're 8-5 eight, eight ACC yeah, right, right now. now, so if they won 4 out of 5, they'd be 12-6 and six ACC. Yeah, it would so, be hard to hold a team, yeah. a 12-6 and six ACC team out of the tournament, regardless of what they did out of conference. In yeah. the toughest conference in, in, the, in the country this year, if not ever. Yeah, I agree 100%, and so Q's fans can hang your head on that. But it means we got some work to do because – and starts out Monday night at Louisville. That's the one that makes us forget yeah. about Pitt. You got to get a home win against Louisville. Yeah, and that's going to be. I think that's the toughest one of the of the home game of all the games, except for at Louisville, which obviously would be tougher than home against Louisville. I think the difficulty to win would go if you rank these at Louisville the toughest, Louisville at home the second toughest, and then um, probably Duke, and then at Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. So yeah, so, man, there's there's a real opportunity for this team, which a month ago we'd have never said that. I don't feel so, good about playing Louisville, though. I never do. They're almost like Pittsburgh in a way. Um, you know. Oh, Patino's got Jim Bayang figured out in the same way that Jamie Dixon does. We unfortunately mm-hmm. don't have Jamie Dixon to kick us around anymore, but Rick Patino does. He will continue to, and that's a team that, with the fact that Syracuse doesn't defend very well, um, now Louisville's not a great offensive team. 
but they just play at such a frenetic pace, which is completely contrary to the way this team plays. It's a, it'll be a clash of styles, and I don't see our style as, as you know, uh, us forcing that better than um, I think Louisville can force that tempo. Louisville forces Syracuse's hand, I think, in that better than Syracuse could force Louisville's hand. This particular team, though, it could help that, that type of, you know, the pressing and the quicker pace of play could really help this team. I mean, because we could go on some massive runs in that game, you know, if we've got a couple guys with, with a hot hand, you know, at that pace we could go on 12-0 run, you know, in a 40-second span. Um, so it, it should be a fun game to watch. I, I, I think John Gillen's got to be really on his game. Because he's yeah. got to be able to handle the press, and there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the open floor that he's got to be able to take advantage of and make good decisions with it. Well, um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be Big Monday, uh, which I miss those days of uh, where we were on, you know, maybe four or five Mondays over the course of the winter, and it was they were all big, big East games. Um, so Monday night games I like a lot better than these Wednesday, Sunday games, you know, this crazy AC schedule, which – Sponsored by Food Lion. You know, coming up here, and after, it's Valentine's Day, and we still haven't played Louisville yet. We have to play them twice. We still haven't played Georgia Tech yet, and we have to play them twice. And we still, like right, and we got to play Duke. So all the teams remain in our schedule. We haven't even played against them. They're all league, league mates, and we haven't played them once yet. It's just, stupid. It is. It's dumb, and really it's unfair to all teams involved because of the way the season goes. So, sure, if you, I think if you were Louisville – or Georgia Tech, you would have rather played Syracuse in you know January sixth. Yeah, that's true. So it's it, it's just. Un- well, I'd rather play Duke without Grayson Allen. I mean, right? you know, that's, yeah. that part's kind of unfair to Syracuse, frankly. It's unbalanced. Um, it's a lot of things wrong with the league, but as you mentioned, it's probably the best league in the country. Yep. So, okay, well. We are now about 35 minutes into the episode, which means that we should probably move it along here and get to Connor's Corner Trivia. Brad, what do you have this week in the world of Syracuse trivia? All right. I um, I, I probably should have done some Fab Mello trivia in honor of uh, Fab, but um, I had this one teed up from a week ago, and then we weren't able to do our, uh, our podcast last week. So I carried it forward to this week, and um, since we've last met, Jim Beheim has passed 1,000 victories. Yes. Which we haven't really spent any time talking about. And I don't even, I, I'm not even going to bother using the word asterisk. He's, he's beaten 1,000 teams. Yeah, well, at the very least, he's doled out 1,000 losses. Right, right. Those are on the and books. Those, those losses didn't get struck from anybody's record right. on the opposing side. So as far as I'm concerned, it's 1,000 wins. Yeah, more NCAA hypocrisy that you could take, that you could... Literally take away the wins, but the losses still remain on the record. So it just makes yeah. no sense. The, the vacating of lot of wins is one of the dumbest punishments of, of all. For, for it. It's just spiteful. It's just yeah. trying to poke a finger in the eye. I mean, it's all it is. And it hurts the everybody involved, not even the but perpetrators. Anyway. So even like in the Penn State situation, which ironically, Joe Paterno's wins were restored. But even in that situation, right? you are so penalizing every player. <laughs> <laughs> even in that situation, you're penalizing every player that put on the Penn State football uniform and went to practice and, and, and graduated from Penn State during that, those times. And it's just not their fault. It's just, it's, it, it's, 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 it's maddening. It's maddening. 
It's so, not C.J. Fair's fault that this happened. It's not Renzi Onowaku's fault that, it has, that this happened. But those guys did the work and beat Jerry McNamara. Now it didn't happen. Jerry McNamara, Big East Tournament, didn't happen. Didn't happen. We didn't win. It happened, but the wins don't count, which is just – yeah, so anyways, let's get on some right. trivia before I get mad. So Syracuse won 1,000 thousand and one wins, and that's all I care about. 1,001 wins over in the Jim Bay Hymera. So um, I've got a, a treasure trove. Thanks to uh, – well, I'll reveal my source later because you might have already seen it. But um, of Jim Bay, I'm 1,000 win trivia. All right, let's go. So we were talking about Big Monday. You love your Monday games, and we all do, because we all remember Big Monday back in the heyday of the Big East. And uh, Send it in Jerome. Yeah, I mean, there's so many so many great memories from Big Monday games. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still do Big Monday. It's not quite as big as it was back in the day, but it's still Monday, and it's still fun. One of the, one of the questions I have for you, Jim, is on what day of the week does Jim Beheim have the best winning percentage? Well, you know... I I saw so many articles about numerology regarding the thousand wins for Bayham. I didn't read one of them, so I'm really am flying blind here. But th- this particular one, I've it's really hard to uh, the most wins. I would say that as a whole, they play the most games on uh, on Saturday of any other day. So I'm going to yeah. just say Saturday. Yeah. Saturday he has by far the most wins. Probably he's got more than double any other day of the week on Saturday, just purely because of the number of games. You're absolutely right. But that is not the day where he has his best winning percentage. Oh, winning percentage. Okay. Winning percentage. Um, Well, it's just a total guess then at this point. I really have no idea. Let's say Monday. Monday, he has his worst winning percentage. Oh, he wasn't good on Big Monday. And and, and think about that for a minute. So when, what types of games does Big Monday feature? Sure, big games. Your clash of your Titans, right? Your best games. Syracuse is obviously not going to fare as well in those games as they are when they're playing Providence and yeah. St. Hall. Tuesday, and Tuesday. I'm going to say Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday's their second best day. Okay, how about Wednesday, Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> no, think logically about this one. Um, geez, I don't know when. I, you know, I guess you know he would always win those December games. You know especially back in the day before they had so many tough matchups in December. It used to really be Cupcake City. Those games were played on uh, Thursday, Friday nights. Let's say Friday. Friday. Friday's okay. the day. So not only those games, Jim, but think about NCAA ACC, tournament. Big East tournament, first yeah, round first games. first round, Friday. right. Or second round games. It'd be Thursday, Friday, Saturday. NCAA tournament. NCAA games, first round games are on Fridays. And so they would have won a lot of those games. So on Friday... Jim Beheim has an 81.5% .815 winning percentage yep. on Fridays. Tuesday's the next best day, 788 winning percentage. So substantially better on Friday than any other day. Well, let's hope they get, uh, if they do get in the tournament, they get the Friday draw. <laughs> That's right. That's a magical day. Um, how many states has Jim Beheim won games in? Oh, man. Well, over and under 30. Over or under 30? I'm yeah. going to say over 30. Over under 40. That's where it's tough because I don't think he's ever won games in North Dakota, Montana, New Mexico, although he might play a tournament in New Mexico at some point, um, Idaho, Washington State, maybe in the NCAA tournament, though. Um, I'm going to say 
he's born in Alaska. He's one in Hawaii. I'm going to say over 40. Thousands a lot. Yes, tell me the state you don't think he's one in. All right. Um, Make this a geography lesson. Well, you know. I got the list right in front of me of the states he's not one in. Well, I, you know, you'd originally think, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to hold off on Montana and Idaho because I seem to remember there being uh, NCAA tournament games in those states. But I think he's never won in North or South Dakota. Is that right? Correct. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. So that's two of them. What, what's the total number? Fifth, so <laughs> that was part of the question, but 15. Oh, so he's not won in 15 states? Correct. 15 states. He's won in 35 of the 50 states. Never, and Washington, D.C. for that. Right? Never won in Maine. Never went to Maine. Correct. Even though it's in the Northeast. Um, I don't think he's ever had to play in New Hampshire. Correct. Which is odd because it's right next to New York State. So let's say Vermont as well. Vermont as well. That's Yeah, then that's that's the part. You know, you, they're, they're a Northeastern team that ever in the Jim Bayheim era. And this goes back into the late 70s. Yeah, I think in the 70s playing, they went. They schedule necessarily. Yeah. They never played in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Yeah. I'm going to say that he has one in, well, he's obviously one in Rhode Island, any big East city uh, yep. or state. So I think that's it for the Northeast. But so we're at five right now. Um, I, I don't, does he, I don't think he's ever had to go to Alabama. Incorrect. Okay. I don't know. I don't remember. But well, it's on the list. So. It could have been UAB. Yeah, well, it could have been Alabama, too. I think could have been Alabama. It could have been Auburn. I, yeah, oh, I yeah, know. yeah. Now that you mentioned I seem to remember him playing in Auburn before. Um, maybe. Um, okay, let's say New Mexico. Incorrect. Hmm. And I'm guessing this was a tournament game of some kind. Yeah. They've they played in Albuquerque several times. Oh, oh, yeah. How stupid. That's, I forgot about Albuquerque. How about yeah. Wyoming? Wyoming's a good one. Okay. How about, well, let's, I'll, I'll throw Idaho and Montana out there, even though I have a feeling that one of those two they've won, he's won. In. Nope, Idaho and Montana are correct. Hmm. So the tournament's played, has never played, I don't think, I don't remember the tournament ever playing in Montana, but I know the tournament plays in Boise occasionally, but I don't think Syracuse has ever played in Boise. Never in Billings, Montana? Okay. No, I don't believe so. So that's eight teams, and I need seven more? Seven more states, I mean? That, yep, you need seven more. Yeah, Alaska was a win. Hawaii was a win. Um, Oregon. I'm going to say Oregon. That's a good one. Okay, so that's nine. Um, Got to figure we won in Michigan. Um, what about Wisconsin? They have one in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, Probably in some uh, Big Ten, Big East challenge, I would imagine. Yeah, there's Iowa, there's Oklahoma. At this point, um, oh, how about Mississippi? Have you ever gone down to Mississippi? Mississippi's a good one, yes. Okay, so that's 10. I don't know if I can get any more than that, to be honest with you. I think we're going to waste a lot of time. Basically, the other ones you've already rattled off, you just didn't commit to them. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma. Oh, wow. Washington State. Hmm. Um, yeah, they never gone to Gonzaga. For the record, good trivia. Gonzaga's last loss was the Syracuse. That's right. They've been winning ever since. They've won every game since. Nebraska. Syracuse has never won a game in Nebraska. Why would, yeah. Why would they ever play in Nebraska? That's a good. We should no. have been an obvious. Well, I, yeah. I mean, they could have played Creighton. That'd be a good fun game. Yeah, but we'd never go on the road to play a Creighton. You know, nowadays no, it would be good, but we would never schedule that. 
there's no reason for it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Iowa, you mentioned. Oh, I'm so that's surprising. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and Delaware. Yeah. Which is not surprising. Why would you go to Delaware? Yeah, you just think somewhere like in like 1978 nice. they would have maybe played at Delaware, you know, some. Yeah, but. it's not a not a huge road trip. I mean, it's no different than going to going to play Georgetown or or Villanova even. So that's all of them. That's 15. Yep. Okay, that's interesting. All right, which state outside of New York has Bayheim had his most wins? What state outside of New York has Bayheim had his most wins? I'm going to say, oh, geez, I was almost going to say Ohio, but I don't think so. It's got to, because Cincinnati was in the Big East, but not for the entirety. Um, New Jersey's a possibility. Um, I'm going to say Virginia. Incorrect. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to think about, think about Big East foes that they would have beaten year after year. Yeah, Providence or Rhode Island? No, that's just, but that's just one team, right? Um, and New Jersey would be a reasonable option. Yeah, I thought Rutgers for as long as some other teams. Yeah, I was gonna say New Jersey with Rutgers, and they would beat them in Seton Hall as well. Um, and actually, yeah. we owned Seton Hall for for years. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, you know, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, Villanova and Pittsburgh. And 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 from years years ago, Syracuse owned Pitt. Yeah. Not anymore. Right. Flipped entirely now, but yeah, I mean, you've got Pitt and Villanova, and obviously they're playing other other teams down there as well on occasion. Especially in the older days, but. Yep. Okay. So Pennsylvania. Um, Jim Beheim has played two hundred fifteen different teams opponents <laughs> in his in his career. <laughs> How many has he never beaten of those 215? Well, I know he beat CW Post. So at least 214 teams to come out. Yeah. Um, it's going to go on a while if you go with that route. Didn't one of the teams we beat recently was like uh, the first time? Like Clemson. Didn't he like... Oh, no, he had a losing record maybe against Clemson, but now he's got a 500 record. Yeah, they had lost to him in the NIT a couple of years back. and Yeah. Um, no, he's a team that, Syri- that Jim Bayheim has never beaten. And so the reality is he hasn't played these teams very often. Yeah. So I'm not asking you which teams because you'll never get them. Just how many then? Um, of the, all the 215 teams ever played, let's yeah. say they must have been single-game losses, um, but it's not. I'm thinking like Indiana or Kentucky in the national title games. But, they, yeah, we beat those schools. I'm going to say, oh, man, I'm going to say like it's got to be really low, like two. Yeah, it's pretty low. It's more than two. Five. Okay. So of those five, four of them he played once. One of them he played four times and still hasn't beaten him yet. Oh, I wonder who that is. Well, I was going to ask you yeah. who that is. Um, a team that they've lost to four times, maybe a Pac-10 type of uh, school. Well, What's that? Did you just give me a hint? Um, I said it's obviously not a conference foe. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give you a hint. They played in the Final Four with this team, though they didn't play this team in a Final Four. UCLA? No. 
Actually, I don't know if they ever played in Final Four of the UCLA. I don't think they did. Um, yeah, geez. Thinking through the Final Fours. Mississippi State, we beat, I actually beat them. Uh, Indiana, Providence, Syracuse. Oh, you know what? I'm totally wrong on that. Okay. No, wait, no, no, it's not. No, 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 I'm right on it. No, yeah. Because I was thinking that's, so it was that same year. The Indiana Providence year? No, when you said Mississippi State, because Syracuse beat Mississippi State. Yeah, and then Kentucky beat who to get into that Final Four? Yeah, that's one. I can't even remember. Drawing a blank. For the sake of time. Marcus Camby, Lou Rowe. Oh, yeah, no kidding. UMass, yeah. You know, now that you mention it, I I know that to be true. Yeah, Calipari was coach of that team. So Syracuse has lost, Jim Bayhams lost to UMass four times and never beaten them. Hmm. The 2008 NIT was the most recent. Yeah. 92 NCAAs, Syracuse beat, lost to UMass. And they had 92 NCAAs, you were at school then. Yep. And uh, a couple times in regular season. Yeah. Well, we got to get them on the schedule. <laughs> uh, plus minus 600 wins. How many has uh, Jim Beheim won either at the Carrier Dome or at Manly? Plus or minus 600. I don't understand the question. How, how many wins does Jim Beheim have at either the Dome or Manly? Is it, a, is it more or less than 600 out of oh. 1,001? He, oh, he's won more than 600. Oh, wait a second. At the, because that doesn't count away games, but I would but, say plus or, 600. Or games. Yeah, I would say um, it's got to be right about 600 in the, in the Carrier Dome and definitely under 600 in Manly. Well, I'm saying if you total Dome and Manly. Oh, totaling them. Yeah. Um, oh, I think it's plus. I think it's over. Big numbers bigger than 600. It is, but only barely. 101 wins. So 602 now. 602 wins uh, at, in, at home at Manly in the Dome. Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I got a lot, a lot more here. Um, Got five minutes more of trivia here, and then we'll have to power through the last two uh, topics. All right, which teams has Jim Beheim beaten the most? These two teams are tied. Oh, let's go with Colgate. Incorrect. Oh wow, Corn. I thought it would be Cornell or Colgate. Um, mm. Seton Hall. Seton Hall's one. Okay, and they're t- they're tied with another team, huh? Correct. Boston College? Incorrect. Remember, Boston College left the Big East. Yeah, but I figure we played them back in the, before the Big East was ever founded, too. Yeah, we beat up on them enough, but no, Boston College is not. Um, Pittsburgh? No, incorrect. Which is not a bad guess, because they continue to play Pittsburgh, but they don't still yeah. beat them. <laughs> That's right. Saint, no, not Saint John's, or maybe Saint John's. Seat, if it's Seton Hall, then why not Saint John's? Or why, Rutgers came into the Big East late, but we played them before they were in the Big East. I'll say Rutgers because we always beat them. <laughs> Incorrect. I don't know. I, all I have is the, is the ones that that are tied for lead. I don't know what Rutgers actually had, but no. they're they're not. The, Forty-seven times is the number that. Uh, these is it teams. a former? Is it a Big East team? A former Big yes, East? Okay, so that should make it easier. But I still can't say Providence. Um, Why can't you say Providence? Because it's 
Well, yeah, I guess I could say Providence. I'll say Providence because that's obviously the answer. <laughs> yeah. Seen Hall and Providence. Jim Bayham has beaten them 47 times each. Huh. Including once in the Final Four. Providence. Yeah, correct. Correct. And I doubt that Syracuse will spend much time trying to get either on the schedule anymore. You know, it would be great to see those old beach rivalries continue. Yeah, but they got bigger rivals. Yeah. Yeah, I would go. Uh, I would. If I had between the two, I think I would choose Providence just because it was the old home of the Big East. Uh, so you got another one for me, Brad? Or are we losing you? Some internet connectivity issues as the winter storm rages outside the studio. At least I think it's raging. Still with me, Brad? Well, we'll see if Brad uh, pops back in here to uh, to uh, wind down the old trivia segment. If not, we are getting. Uh, I think you oh, got me back. Okay, we're back. So, okay, so we got uh, so time for one more question, Brad. Or actually, give me the answer to that one. No, we're having some old connectivity. Who are you talking? Old, some connectivity problems here in Cincinnati, but. Uh, um, you with me, Brad? Well, I won't put our listeners through that if he pops. More trivia yet? Oh yeah, you're back. Okay, come on, give me something. No, apologize. It seems like he's popping back in, but then he's, yeah. we're immediately losing him again. It was a good trivia while it lasted, though. I'll give you that. And we are up on the end of the show here got about five minutes left well oh you're back you're back with me at least it sounded like you were yeah maybe not maybe not oh well we made it through most of the uh most of the show here um a couple things left that we had to talk about we got this louisville game coming up tomorrow um Louisville lost to at Virginia on February 6, 71 to 55. Um and they rebounded Saturday with a win against Miami, 71-65 point win against Miami on Saturday. So Louisville's 20 and 5 overall and 8 and 4 in the conference. 20 and 5 overall, man, wouldn't that be nice if that was our record? Um but it's not. Uh, hopefully we can get that win. Uh it's going to be a big turnaround game coming off that pit loss louisville currently ranked second in the acc in scoring defense so it's really as brad was mentioned earlier a contrast of styles they're allowing only 62.8 points per game um donovan mitchell's we're gonna have to look out for him he's the team's leading scorer averaging 15 points a game quentin snyder averages 12 points a game and um 16th season for Rick Pitino, and as we talked about, he seems to have Bayheim's number. As a, and I know that bothers Bayheim, former assistant, gave him his first job. Um, and of course, Louisville coming off the national championship in 2013. So that game's at 7 o'clock on Big Monday. It's a 25th meeting between Louisville and Syracuse. Louisville leads the series 16 to 8. Last season, um, they just played once, and Louisville won by 14 72 58 so 
We got Louisville Monday and then most of the rest of the week off until Sunday when they hit the road to play at Georgia Tech at 6.30. So that's when we're going to have to see about what we're going to go ahead and do with the podcast next week. Chances are it'll be a post-game edition. Um, Sometime around uh, 9 o'clock, maybe on Sunday night, we'll be back at it. Um, And then just one more thing to uh, talk about here is, and I don't know if Brad's back with us or not, doesn't sound like it, but, uh, you know, the question was going to be, just general feeling, are we going to make it or not? And I'd, I'd be interested to see what Brad would say. I feel like we're going to. I don't know why. I just feel like, you know, when it comes down to it, we're going to find a way. We're going to slip in. Not unlike last year, and hopefully this team can get hot. And I think when this team does step out of uh, conference now, um, if we're given that opportunity that we can beat a lot of good teams and, and make a run, but you know, we could also just totally flame out and, and, you know, you know, lose three of the next five, losing the first round of the ACC tournament, and then maybe hope to make the NIT and just be, be, it would be upsetting. It would be upsetting uh, with all the hype heading into the season. It would be a lost season. So it all, you know, the road to turn it all around and to get into that dance starts Monday against Louisville, and uh, I'm big Monday. So getting right to it, and for the professor Brad Connor, uh, who was exited the show about four minutes ago due to some internet issues. Um, I'm Jim Sinecropi. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. On the Upstate Orange Podcast, subscribe to our feed on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or via RSS. We'll be back next Sunday night. Come on, Orange. Let's get that mojo back.